Why have you stuck with the solo agent model? I have never wanted to be a large team and I have never seen the standard team model as being a really profitable model. In 2008, I had um, a medical issue that affected my eyesight and it affected it in such a way that I no longer felt comfortable driving people in my car or showing property. Um, I had a uh, depth perception issue and it just, it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. So I decided to take the existing showing agent model and ramp it up. So what I did is I um, created a system for showing agents and I had developed a very, very proprietary and specific way that I show property that is different from most agents. It is specific and it was specific because um, it actually was effective, highly effective in that format. You can get to the right property much quicker and get the buyer to make a decision. In fact, my method actually has the buyers telling me, I found the house, write the offer, this is it. Instead of the indecision that is most common in our industry for buyers. Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, this is Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent, and welcome to Success Calls. This month's top agent is Vicki Westifer with Remax in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Welcome to the call, Vicki. Hi, how are you, Mike? I'm doing great, Vicki. I'm so excited to talk to you. I can't wait to get your, your vision and your model out there for people to listen to. So let's go ahead and jump right in. My first question for you, though, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Great. Well, Mike, um, I grew up in San Diego, went to UCLA, got a history degree, and then ended up by chance starting an interior design firm from the ground up when I was 26 years old with a total of $70 in my pocket. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I ran that, that I built that into a high level interior design firm and ran that for 21 years. The last five of those years I ran remotely, virtually, as we now say, um, from Colorado. And then um, I got my license and went into real estate and ran both businesses for one year to make sure it was going to work and then sold my business to one of my associates. So that business is still operating 22 years later. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Wow. That is fantastic. So you had a little bit of an entrepreneurial streak in you right off the bat. Yeah, I've I've had probably four businesses in my lifetime, oh, but this wow. is my favorite. <laughs> that that's amazing. Now, why did you, you you said you you were in California? You moved to Colorado. 
Uh, and then you, you got the idea to get a license. There was a one-year overlap. Why did you get the license? Great question. I was burnt out from my previous career and doing it remotely really didn't satisfy my um, needs for interconnection with people. So I evaluated what my skill set was and what my interest was. And quite honestly, the interior design business and residential real estate are very comparable outside of the legal and contract aspects of it. Sales, marketing, homes, people, service, all of that. So it was a very easy transition. And truthfully, I just love what I do because with real estate, I have a better opportunity to actually make a difference in people's lives, um, more so than I did in a very superficial industry such as interior design. How old were you when you got that real estate license? Well, <laughs> let's see, it was uh, 1998 and I am 68 now. So I was already <laughs> quite a bit older. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I wanted to, to pick up on the point that this is a second career for you. It is. Yeah, a, that is a fantastic. Full second career. I did 21 in my previous business, and now I'm 22 years into real estate, and I'm not done yet. <laughs> you keep rocking. That is fantastic. Well, this is really good and exciting. Uh, I want to let's we're going to start coming up into today. And in, in that process, though, I, I know that you have something unique here. You have been practicing a solo agent model for the 22 years when the industry is moving towards teams. Why have you stuck with the solo agent model? First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Well, truthfully, I have never wanted to be a large team in the sense that most people think of a team. Now I do have a team, but my team doesn't involve any other agents. It involves staff. I have three unlicensed staff. Um, I also never really wanted to build a huge machine. I liked the control that I had over a more manageable uh, group of people. The other aspect is that coming from another business and understanding the principles of running a business, profitability was huge for me. And I have never seen the standard team model as being a really profitable model. And so I, I was sort of averse to it from the beginning. Um, and I don't need to make a, you know, uh, an enormous amount of money. I still make an extremely good living running it this way, but much more profitably as far as I'm concerned. So I, we're, we're going to dig into that. We're going to jive into uh, the group of people that you have around you. I kind of look at your arrangement, your model as a leveraged, a leveraged solo agent, because you're working with all the buyers and sellers, correct? You are you're contacting them, touching base with them. They are your clients. 
They are outside of showing property, which we'll talk about. Yeah, we're going to get into that part of the model as well, which is pretty cool. So everybody stay tuned. Before we get into all that, though, I want to give people a background. I'd like to do a quick round, a quick session where we kind of give people a background about you. So let's go through a quick speed round and, and answer some fast questions. The first question for you I have is, what is the name of your team? If somebody were to try to look you up. Uh, it is the Make Your Best Move team. Fantastic. And that is also my domain name, makeyourbestmove.com. So they can find me either way. And they can find you there. And what is your service area? I handle the general uh, Colorado Springs, El Paso County area in Colorado and the surrounding neighborhoods going up into Teller County and up to about Castle Rock. Uh, very good. And I think we, we mentioned it, but how long have you been licensed? 22 years. 22 years. That is fantastic. And looking at production last year, how many homes did you sell last year? And what was your sales volume? Uh, last year, I sold um, 52 homes for $17 million. Very nice. And do you recall what your GCI was? Uh, yeah, last year, my GCI was 525,000. And we're talking about 2019, correct? Yes, 2019. Okay. That is, that's fantastic. Do you recall what your average sales price was that year? Um, according to my notes, my average sales price was 382,000. 382. And thank you for going through this real quick, but I just want everybody to get a quick background. Do you recall that year what percentage were buyers versus sellers? It was near half and half, but I generally maintain in most cases, it's about two thirds sellers, one third buyers. But that year it was about 45% buyers and 55% sellers. Yeah, that makes sense. A little more leverage with your sell side. Let's now go to your best year, which my understanding is happening right now. You're to date 2020. Um, In the middle homes? of a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, pandemic, right? So uh, how many homes have you sold this year? And what's been your sales volume? Um, we will close 67 homes by the end of the year for 2020 with a volume of 30 million. Wow, that is such a beautiful thing. Wow, 30 million, that's such a big mark. Uh, and how much do you expect the GCI to be? Um, we are set to have a GCI of 867,000. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is such good news. And how about your average sales price this year? Well, that's gone up substantially. It's up to 467,000. So it's 85,000 higher than our average sale price last year. I want to stop right there for a second. Why do you think that the average sales price went up? Is it just because the general market went up or did you do something to push that price up? Um, I, I honestly can't say that I did something intentional to push, push that price up. Um, and yes, our market prices have gone up substantially, but not to account for that much of a difference. So my feeling is that a lot of the clients that we worked with this year, more so than normal, have made decisions to sell and move to another home, most of them upgraded. And so we were able to move into a higher price point for a lot of our previous homeowners. Um, we were able to show them how they could make that double move this year. 
And there were a lot of different, you know, scenarios that we worked with, but uh, we had a much larger population of past, past clients who made two moves, sold a home and bought a home here. Right. And I so think that I think that has um, impacted the average sale price. Right. Moving with uh, working with more move up buyers because they're buying that bigger home on the other side has been pushing up the average for you. And, and that's good advice for anyone else. If you're able to try to try to start working with those move up buyers, you get uh, two transactions and you're moving up that sales price. Good information. Right. Um, now, in your career, I have that you've sold something over something around a thousand homes. Does that sound right? Yes, probably around a thousand. I don't have an exact number, but it's got to be in that neighborhood. And my guess, based on our sales prices, it might be a little lower, but I'm guessing around half a billion dollars or so. Sound about right? Probably. <laughs> You're half a billion agent. That's pretty fantastic. Uh, I got another quick question for you, listening to you for a few minutes here. I'm curious, have you ever taken the DISC profile test? And if so, oh, yes. you know how you score out? Mm -hmm. I'm a 99D. Not, yeah, I can tell you're pretty direct. <laughs> but I also have a very high C and that'll, that'll come out later on down the road. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I can attest when we were preparing for this meeting, we went back and forth and you made a lot of corrections to get things very accurate for me to make sure we had the right stats. And that's pretty unusual. So I had a feeling that you might be have a lot of C in you and you definitely can tell you got the D and that's great. Uh, what a nice combination. Um, let's do this. Let's move back into our idea of the, now that everybody's got a background on you is the solo agent and the solo agent model. Uh, I'd really like to dig into that. I think it's pretty spectacular uh, how you've set this up. So I think that you mentioned you have the solo agent model with the virtual staff. Uh, let's talk more about your staff. You said you have three admin people. What do they do? Who are? What's the position, the title, and what are they responsible for? Well, first of all, all of us are virtual. I am right now working out of my home office. That is where I live. <laughs> I do not have an office in our company's office at all. Um, I much prefer, you know, working from home without the distractions. My first hire, and this, of course, was not my first original hire. I've had a number of part-time and full-time assistants along the way, but my current uh, full-time assistant uh, was actually a client of mine. I uh, About 17 years ago, I relocated her from Long Island, New York, and she didn't come to work for me at that point. She actually went to work for some other realtors. I didn't need an assistant at the time. They did some training with her. And a couple of years later, her services became available and I hired her immediately and went full time. Uh, she, shortly after that, she got married, she got pregnant, she was gonna have her baby. And so we sent her home. And from that point forward, she's worked out of her house and she's had the opportunity, along with all of my other staff who are also stay-at-home moms, um, she's had the opportunity to have flexibility to work and to raise her family and to take time when she needed to, as long as her work was getting done, to be able to have both quality of life 
and be able to have a job that she really enjoyed. She's been with me for 14 years. She is now the team manager. The second person that came on to the team that is still there actually lives in San Diego now. When she originally joined us, she was in Colorado Springs, but again, she worked remotely from home and she has um, a husband who is retired military, but at the time he was active duty. And so we've followed her around the country and she's now settled in San Diego and nothing changes, everything works just fine. She flies out and visits with us and we do team events once a year where we all get together and celebrate our successes and renew our you know, in-person relationships. And she is my marketing manager. So she does all of the marketing for all of our listings. She also does uh, some of our general marketing and she um, helps with contracts as well, drafting contracts, because that's something that she can do remotely very easily. She's been with me for uh, approximately 12 years. And the last person that is currently on my team has been with me for 11 years. And she is now a, an on-site or a, an in-house transaction coordinator. She didn't start out that way and neither did my marketing manager. My marketing manager was also, when we were doing internet leads during the downturn, we did very well with them. We no longer really use internet leads as a part of our business. But both my marketing manager and the person who is now my transaction coordinator were both um, lead, uh, lead managers. So they were um, you know, inside lead agents. And they did a phenomenal job with that, but that, those positions have really gone away in my business. And so we transitioned Tracy to um, transaction coordinator and she does that remotely from her home. I trained her in that um, capacity. She didn't have that background at all and set up very specific proprietary systems for that. And she loves what she does because she is a very high C. So <laughs> she is, you know, very well geared for transaction management. Wow. This is fantastic. And Thank you for walking us through that. Uh, I like how you tapped into an underutilized market and that is stay-at-home moms. Uh, they, have a, they need the flexibility, but they often have these hours that they can utilize. And you figured out a way to make that work for both of you. Absolutely. And I will say that at least two of those people um, are very, very good at working remotely. In other words, if one of them has to go or wants to go to their kid's uh, ball game, they bring their laptop or their phone with them and they can be at the game and they can still be tapped into what's going on on our end and do what needs to be done. So I've provided a, a platform where they can have extreme flexibility, enjoy their lives and still get their work done. And my needs get served as far as keeping the business running as well. So it is a win-win all the way across the board. And you've been doing this a very long time, much longer than say the COVID that required us to do it. You've been doing it 10 times longer than that's been around. 
Uh, you saw it as part of your business model to make sense. Right. I assume you're able to reduce cost as well. You didn't have to provide office space for these folks. Uh, you do have the challenge, though, that most people would be worried about is how do you make sure that they're doing their work while they're at home instead of playing tiddlywinks or something? How do you monitor that? How do you make sure the compensation doesn't get abused? What have you done there? Well, my comment to that is if you didn't hire the right people, then you do need to be concerned about that. However, if you have hired people that have the same business ethic that I have, that have the same care and concern for both the team itself and for our clients and the end result that it occurs, we're hiring for a certain, not just for a skill set. In fact, I don't even hire for skill set at all. I hire for ethics. If I don't, uh, if the person I'm hiring is not, and I know that's a, this is a hard question to determine, but if I don't sense that the person I'm hiring is highly ethical, trustworthy, honest, and hardworking, there's nothing I can teach them, no skill set I can teach them that's going to help me. I need to really be able to know that these are people who are going to care as much about getting the job done right as I do. And how then I can teach the skill sets. How do you identify this ethical question, this hardworking question in an interview? It's not easy. And I really would have to say that I rely a great deal on my intuition. I just have a sense when I talk to people and I'm usually, I usually am correct. I have been in the past when I sense that I'm not getting the kind of answers that I want, that there's um, some manipulation in the information. I can't actually say that there's specific questions that I ask. It's really just a sense I have. And once I try them out for a while, I can tell very quickly if that's the case. If I have to worry about whether or not they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're the wrong person for the job. You know, I think as we get older, we realize our gut is really intuitive. It's really strong. Yes. And that when yes. we don't go with our gut, we end up not liking the results. And it sounds very like you've true. really tapped into that. Yeah, it's very true. You have to trust your gut. And it doesn't always work out perfectly. And then the key is to hire, uh, fire quickly. If you've made a bad hire, fire quickly. Very Let good. them go on and find the better job for them. Uh, people, when they, now you've leveraged through staff, which is, I just think is such a wonderful idea, especially for profitability, which we'll get to later. But uh, you've leveraged with the staff and you've got these people working remotely. You've told us how you, you found them and what you're looking for. But one of the things people have when they're thinking about bringing on maybe their first assistant or their third is they're wondering about how do I compensate them to make sure they're in alignment with me? What's the right thing to do here? I want to attract the right person. Uh, what have you found is the right way to go about compensation? Well, in this particular case, all three of my staff are compensated completely differently. Um, we started out uh, with my first full-time assistant. We started out with a salary. And actually, no, she started out on an hourly basis because I really wasn't sure how that was all going to work. 
And I don't think we went to salary until she had been working with me for about five years. Her salary has increased over time, not every year. Um, I am not a believer that uh, you should give raises every year regardless. I don't see that that, I, I don't think that makes sense. I think when uh, their benefit to you has increased or their responsibilities have increased, then that's a really good time to make a change. And I've never had any of them come to me and ask for a raise. So I figure I must be paying them adequately, but they, they do get their compensation um, adjusted every few, few years, depending on the situation. But I also make sure that they understand the basic finances of business. I don't keep them out of the um, loop when it comes to what we're making, what our profit margin is, what we have to make to be profitable. And in some of those conversations, I've had to have the hard talks with them about what you're asking for is not an option for me to run a profitable business. And if I don't have a profitable business, you don't have a job. So <laughs> that has been the conversation. And then for my full-time assistant, we've added things. Um, she, she does get now a percentage of our uh, gross profit at the end of the year. It is a small percentage, but her job is so critical uh, to what we do and managing all of the people's, the, all of the uh, aspects of the interaction between the different team members. And she keeps very good track. Sometimes I'll say to her, you know, things seem to be down this month. And she'll go, oh no, for the past five months or past five years, this is where it's been. <laughs> <laughs> this is typical. So she she definitely keeps me on track. She knows where things are at, and so do I, but sometimes I'm not looking at the numbers. And um, then my marketing person is actually an independent contractor because she does do some work for other agents. Um, most of her business is with my team. So we consider her a team member and we treat her as such. Uh, as far as team meetings and all of that, we want her to be on top of everything that's going on and clearly understand it all. So she actually sets her own uh, rate of pay. She has a flat fee for doing a listing, the marketing for a listing, and then an hourly rate that she charges for outside of the listings. And my transaction coordinator has kind of an unusual pay system. Uh, I figured out a way that would make sense for her since we are not as busy every single month of the year. I wanted her to have uh, a, an hourly rate. And unlike contractors that are transaction coordinators, who get paid a flat fee if the deal closes, her hourly rate would mean that she would get paid regardless of whether the deal closes. 
first of all, it's not up to her as to whether or not it closes or not. And we lose almost no deals. Um, they go to closing. It's extremely rare that they don't close. It might be an inspection issue that comes up where the buyer terminates. In fact, we had one recently where it tested hot for meth. <laughs> Obviously, he's not buying that house. But she gets her hourly rate, and then she gets a much lower per transaction fee per closing. So she has two different types of pay. And um, that has worked out very, very well for her. She does much, much more. I would say if you looked at a normal transaction coordinator's um, list of tasks that they provide for any agent, you would have to take that and multiply it by seven to 10 times to equal what she does for me. And that was part of the reason that I decided to bring this part of the business in-house so that I had control over what it included and I knew what was being done at any given time. That makes complete sense. Uh, of course, the old days, that's all we did was, was all in-house. We always hired our own transaction manager before it went out and became an IC. Um, well, this is great. Now, the, the three... Uh, staff members, are they licensed or unlicensed? Absolutely unlicensed. Unlicensed. Very good. So you're doing all the negotiations on the contracts as an example. Uh, how about inspections? Are you doing the inspections? I do not go to the inspections. We'll have to get back to those showing agents because ah, we'll generally my showing sure. agents also help me with that piece. How about the inspections on your listing side? Are you dealing with that or is- We don't have, yeah, we handle it, but we do not have in our area, the listing agent does not attend those, generally does not attend those inspections. Right, but do you negotiate when the uh, issues come up? Oh, absolutely. Any negotiation, anything that involve, is involved in the transaction part of it I am entirely the one who is um, responsible. Very good. Uh, let's talk about um, the virtual aspect a little more. You've got all these people running around. They're not in front of you. They're out there in the ethernet. How are you staying connected to them? What kind of software are you using? Systems, meetings, uh, communication. What are you doing to make sure you're all interwoven? That, uh, that involves a lot. So. Let's start with meetings because that's the easiest. Um, we're in communication. I'm in communication individually with each of them, usually on a daily basis and oftentimes more than one time a day. Uh, we try to limit those conversations so that we're not interrupting each other. But um, frequently it'll be text or email just so, so as not to be too disruptive but occasionally I've got to pick up the phone and have a conversation. Another thing that I use is um, I am an early bird. So oftentimes I'll get up in the morning and I will want to give some instruction to all or one of my staff members. And I may not want to wait until they're at work. So I actually sit down and I record on my phone an audio message to them, giving them whatever instructions I have for that day that I need to have taken care of. 
And I just email that over to them. The first thing they do when they get in is they listen to it. The great piece is they can rewind and listen to it again if they need to. They can take notes and do all of that. And they will get back to me later on in the day and they'll let me know how they handle those items. We do have meetings. Uh, we do them on Zoom. We used to use Hangouts and we don't do them more than about twice a month. We do have a local coach that works with our team and she's involved in one of those meetings per month. She's a party to that meeting. And so my staff in San Diego, the coach and my other two staff members and myself are all on a Zoom call together. And that's usually about an hour long call. Various topics, depending on what's going on. Very nice. And uh, by the way, thank you for, for walking through that. So you're doing two meetings a month. One is with a coach. Uh, who's your coach? Um, I have a coach in town that is just a business coach. And uh, I think I may be her only real estate client. So I've had to kind of bring her up to speed. But an interesting side note on this is she became a client of ours. And last well, this year, we helped her both buy a house and then sell her home. So she now has an inside track on our exact process and how everyone interacts and has also helped us along the way to give us some insight, some honest insight on how the process was perceived by a client. Um, so she is now able to, to help us in a different way because she's seen the inside of the process. Right. And having uh, someone from outside the real estate industry, you got a fresh set of eyes. Somebody from the business world can apply other business concepts we may not have thought about in our little universe that we like to swim around in. Uh, what a can great I idea. Um, you also mentioned the audio recordings. It reminded me of Alan Dom, uh, the condos in Philadelphia, Center City, Philadelphia, and how he would do that with his staff in the old days with an actual recorder and hand the disc off, uh, hand the cassettes off. And you're doing it with a little higher tech uh, using the electronic. What a great idea there as well. Now, is there any other software using the, to kind of keep this all together? Absolutely. So I've been using Top Producer as a CRM since, <laughs> since 1998, since I started. And so I've been through all the different iterations of Top Producer. And we do use that. And we do, do use it fairly extensively. So all of our client information is in there. Our uh, closing management is in there to a certain degree. Listing management, um, action plans, after sale action plans. Um activity notes so that I'm reminded for callbacks and things of that sort. So we still rely on that heavily to keep us on top of everything. Um, our database is well sorted and labeled so that we can identify certain aspects of our uh, client database very easily. For example, if we're going to be inviting people to an event a local event, we can quickly and easily pull those people that would be relevant to that event. 
or for specific types of mailings or emails. In addition to that, obviously with this virtual format, we had to have a way for us to communicate. We use Google, Google Drive as a way of sharing all of our documentation. And I have a business, a, a Google Drive business account, and that has been huge. Everybody can see my calendar, everybody can add to it, everybody can access the shared documents that help us to track everything that's going on. Uh, so that is a huge piece that wasn't available many years ago. We had to do it a little bit more laboriously, but Google Drive has been great. Uh, we also use Dropbox for photo sharing and other video sharing because Google Drive doesn't really serve that purpose as well. One of the most important things, oh, and Google Voice allows us to um, have transcription on the voicemails that come into my phone. And so everyone can see my email and they can see the transcription. So depending on who needs to respond to it, it's all right there. And they can listen to it as well. But I will tell you the most uh, important piece of technology that I discovered a number of years ago for helping us manage is something that manages my texts. So if, um, if I am texting with a client, nobody's going to be able to see that except me. We have discovered that over the years, especially the past maybe four years, people have gone more and more away from email communication and more into communicating with text. And so I would say 70% of our communication between ourselves and with our clients is through text. And that became a problem because I could, I could see it, but then I had to notify everyone else of what just happened on my phone. And that was extremely tedious and you know, really wasn't efficient at all. There is a, a program called Mighty Text. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, what it allows me to do is both of my assistants uh, and, and myself, we have installed Mighty Text on my, our computers and everything that happens on my phone translates into a desktop format. So regardless of where my assistants are, they can all see all of the text communication that goes on between myself and um, anyone else. But more importantly, they can actually text back as if they were me through that platform. So instead of if somebody texts and I'm in a meeting and one of my assistants has an answer to that question or needs to reach one of my clients, they use that platform and they just indicate that they're who, who they are, that it's not me. And it allows all of us to be able to see the entire communication and have a record of it, um, you know, all real time. So when your assistant responds back, you're in the meeting and your assistant responds back, says, uh, hey, uh, 
this, this is not Vicky. This is so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. The answer. Do you see that on your phone in the text thread? So you're, you're real time kept up to date. Everything on. is so real time. So you don't answer on top of whatever they answered. Correct. So what it, what it eliminates literally is crosstalk. So we do not, I don't have to tell anybody else what just happened. They don't have to tell me. All three of us can see the entire thread of communication and interact with it real time. And that has been an absolute lifesaver. And that program is extremely inexpensive and very, very efficient. You can even see in most cases, if somebody's texting a photo of something, in most cases, it will show up. Not always. Sometimes if it's too big, it won't come in. Nice. But that has saved us an enormous amount of aggravation and, you know, uh, having to catch up on communication. So the, the joint email that we can see, the joint calendar, and now this Mighty Text joint texting platform has really pretty much solved all of our virtual problems. <laughs> <laughs> what a great tool. What a great tool. Vicki, thank you for giving us a, a big, big picture of what's happening with the, the staff, the admin on your team that are helping to support you in your role. Now, I'd like to switch gears and talk about another aspect of people that are helping you, another group. And um, when people get a larger uh, volume of business, they start bringing in buyer agents. You chose not to do that. And instead, you brought in showing agents and you have a showing agent model. For people that don't understand the difference, could you define to us what is the difference between a buyer agent and a showing agent? Absolutely. And there is a huge difference in a lot of ways. My favorite way is in terms of cost. But um, the reason that I went to a showing agent model initially was because I was developing a very, when I was working with internet leads, I was developing a very large amount of clients who would come into town to buy a home. And inevitably, they would come on a holiday weekend and more than one of them would show up at the same time because it was a holiday weekend. And there was no way I could show property to three or four different families at the same time. Necessity being the mother of invention, I decided to um, hire and train some people for that purpose. So that was a very limited aspect of it. And I was still showing property at the time. In 2008, I had um, a medical issue that affected my eyesight. And it affected it in such a way that I no longer felt comfortable driving people in my car or showing property. Um, I had a uh, depth perception issue and it just, it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. So I decided to take the existing showing agent model and ramp it up. And I still show an occasional home here or there just because I want to. Um, I would say during any given year, if I show 10 homes, that's a lot. So what I did is I 
um, created a system for showing agents. I decided that I did not want to just hire people and say, hey, you go out and show property for me, because as you know, each one of them is going to go about that in their own personal way. And I had developed a very, very proprietary and specific way that I show property that is different from most agents. Um, we don't need to get into that, but just suffice it to say, it is specific. And it was specific because um, it actually was effective, highly effective in that format. So I decided that if I was going to let other agents show property for me, I needed to train them to do it exactly the way I did. And this was really also more of a McDonald's type of concept. I needed the clients to feel comfortable that when they were with a showing agent, they were going to have the same exact experience other than personality, difference in personality, working with me showing property or working with a showing agent. And if perchance they had to work with more than one showing agent during the process, which would likely happen because we were working with schedules, um, they would not have to adapt to each person's style. They would be able to know that the exact same system and process was going to occur each time just with a different person. So I um, developed my training program and it involves about an hour and a half to two hours in a classroom in the office and I usually train somewhere between five and seven agents at a time. And the reason I do that is because um, during the training, I usually find that half of them are not somebody I'm going to actually use. And another portion of them within a short period of time are either gonna drop out of the business or they may change companies and now I can't use them either. So it's, <laughs> I might have to train seven to get one or two uh, long-term and that's fine. And once we do about an hour and a half in the office, which includes going over the process and going over an agreement that they have to sign, then um, we move out and I usually schedule two to three vacant houses that are on the market for us to um, do live role play with. I'm the agent, they're the buyers. We actually set up a whole scenario with them. One person plays the wife, one plays the husband, and we go through the houses that way so that I can show them in real time how to apply the principles I've just taught them. What's really interesting, most of the agents that I am training are newer agents, not all of them, but most of them. And obviously with, an, with a more experienced agent, it's gonna be really hard to get them to change their way of doing things. So that's why it doesn't really work. Plus most of them are not as available. Um, so with those newer agents, they are usually blown away when they get through the, the whole process and they're, wow, this really works. I can see why you've decided to do it this way. You can get to the right property much quicker and get the buyer to make a decision. In fact, 
My method actually has the buyers telling me, I found the house, write the offer, this is it. Instead of the indecision that is most common in our industry for buyers. So um, once I've done the training, then those agents are actually hired on um, as W-2 employees on an hourly basis. I pay them hourly over time. That amount has gone up from the time they, for the time that they use to schedule the showings because I allow them to schedule in whatever order makes sense for them. I don't dictate them. We give them the list of the property and we give them a great deal of information about the client so that they know what we're trying to accomplish, what their goals are, what their criteria is, what they've seen so far, that type of thing. They're given all that information up front. We do try to keep the same showing agents with the same clients as much as possible. But one of the benefits of the showing agent model is that if I'm not available when they wanna see a property in one hour or two hours, because it just came on the market and it'll be gone before the end of the day. Um, I have a list of agents to check with to see who can do this right now. So sometimes it is the same agent and sometimes it isn't, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't have any real impact on the end result for them. And that is essentially how the whole thing works. And I will tell you that the reason they are W-2 employees is that one morning I woke up and I thought to myself, huh, I wonder what would happen if one of my showing agents uh, let the prize winning dog out of somebody's house and it got run over or <laughs> had an accident with my clients in the car with them. And I made a quick call to my insurance company to check on my business liability insurance and discovered that unless they were employees, I was not covered. So they instantly became <laughs> employees. And they get paid monthly on payroll. They get paid by the hour for the time they've invested. And they do get a small flat fee bonus if they worked with the client when we close. And so if three different agents worked with a client, they each get a, a bonus. But the end result is that over the years, and I track it every year, it varies. If I consider all of the money paid out, because some understand that some people are being shown property that never buy something. For example, they've come in for an investigation trip and they're looking at properties and they decide not to come to Colorado Springs. We've still shown them property. I take the full amount of money spent over the year for those showing agents. I divide it by the number of closed buyer sides and determine how much it cost me per closed buyer side. And it varies per year between $400 and $600 per closed buyer side. Considering my average sale price and the average commission, you can equate that to a difference between four to $600 versus about $6,000 being paid to a buyer's agent. Now, mind you, these agents are not doing anything other than showing. 
They give feedback to the listing agent. They have to because I wasn't in the house. And they give feedback immediately afterwards to me. And that is all they do. Show property, schedule the showings, give feedback. They are not involved in the transaction at all. Where a buyer agent may do some of the negotiation as an example, or go to and fill out the contract and go to the closing and, and pick it up. You're doing those activities with the buyer. You're doing the initial buyer consultation and Absolutely. qualifications. They're just picking up the showing piece, the showing agent. A very specific chunk of the transaction. And it is a chunk that doesn't require that higher level of expertise that is necessary for the other pieces that a buyer's agent would do. So I'm relying on them for the um, probably the lower level of skill set that's needed in our industry for showing property. So instead of paying the buyer agent 30, 40, 50% or more of, uh, as a percentage of the final commission, and you were mentioning some numbers a minute ago, you're, paying, you're taking the risk by putting up the money for up front, but you know your numbers and you know that, that that risk that you have to pay out is gonna end up being about 400 to $600 per closing versus about 10 times that or more uh, if you had worked the other model, which is less risk, but a higher payout. True. Now, granted, I'm doing more of the work. No doubt about it. But having the in-house very, very uh, detailed transaction coordinator and my full-time uh, team manager and assistant, uh, that takes a great deal of the burden off of me for the day-to-day -day, um, transaction follow-up. So I'm able to manage a lot more transactions, as, you, as we've talked about, without a great deal of stress. And I think I mentioned to you, I am a travelaholic. So <laughs> I take yeah. 10 weeks of vacation a year. And Oof. that is, so I operate at this level with 10 weeks of time off. It isn't necessarily 100% off. Um, I usually have another agent in the company cover for me. And I will do some work on vacation, no doubt, and sometimes more than others. But uh, I still have that time away for refresh. Uh, I feel a real strong need. In fact, it was Brian Buffini years ago at the very first uh, conference I ever went to. He said, if you don't take one week a year of vacation, um, you're not doing yourself a service or your clients because you're not any good for them. You're wearing yourself out. And I remember going, I hadn't had a vacation in 10 years when, that, when he said that. I went back to my hotel room and scheduled a vacation and I've never looked back since. I've been adding to it over the years. So that allows me, the system allows me and the showing agents allow me to be able to leave get some refresh time and come back a better person for my clients, for my family and for my staff. Wow. 10. And you said 10, one, zero, you know, 10, yeah. 10 weeks a year. You're that is gone. My goal now, are you doing that all, at one time, all 10 weeks no, together? No, I actually schedule one whole year ahead purposely so that I cannot make the excuse of, Oh, I can't go now. I'm too busy. And I go uh, for two weeks, I almost always two weeks at a time, 
Um, and it's two weeks every quarter and then something extra thrown in here and there. Very so nice. Every three months. Uh, this year has been difficult. A little different, yeah. <laughs> but I actually have been away. We are leaving the day after Thanksgiving for a week up in Breckenridge. And I have been uh, managed to fit in eight weeks this year, even during <laughs> pandemic. It's wow. all been in Colorado, but that's fine. A change wow. of scenery is enough to give me some break. During COVID and during uh, uh, your business really picking up and, and hitting these high peak numbers, you're still able to get away. And this model is helping you do it. Couple questions there. Uh, the rate of pay for the showing agent, you're paying per hour. What are you paying? People, are, they're curious. They want to know, what, what are you paying there? Uh, 35 to 50, depending on the experience. Okay, so it's a high rate of pay. That's attractive, especially to a new mm -hmm. agent. They want to do this for you. I'm not, I'm not reimbursing them for gas. So I've taken that into account. Um, I'm very clear with them they, that they are not to be taking my clients out to lunch. If they need to stop, if people need to eat, it's a drive through. I explained to them that people are not out there look, you know, wanting to sit down at a restaurant with you. They're there to buy a house, to look at houses, and that's their objective. So don't go take them to a restaurant. If they're hungry, do a drive-by, a uh, drive-through. And so, I should, go ahead. You know, it's just the gas and their time, but it has to be worth it. But what you have to understand is there's another really good benefit to those agents. It isn't just the pay. In fact, if it was just the pay, I don't know if any of them would do it. Although for a new agent, any extra money is going to be helpful. But really, the biggest benefit for the new agent is that they are getting the experience of getting out and working with my buyers that they don't have and learning the houses, learning the inventory, learning the neighborhoods, and getting the general experience of interacting with buyer clients that would take them a lot longer to get through if they didn't have this opportunity. And then they're also getting the opportunity to get trained in my process, which makes them more effective. In addition to that, I make myself available to them for mentoring if they have issues or questions. Because, you know, they're starting out and there's always things that come up. So I let them know they can call me whenever they have something that they need some extra advice on. And I've got to believe that in your written agreement, uh, it's specified that the client remains yours. So not only, yes, not only that, but they are not to have any communication with the client during or after the transaction, unless I, you know, specify. So sometimes there's a reason why I need to have them call the client during a showing situation and figure out something so that we're not doing a three-way type of thing. And that's fine as long as I have authorized it. But that is all very clearly written out in the agreement, yes. Well, uh, Vicki, this has been fantastic. I really have a better vision and a view of what you're doing with showing agents and, uh, and how you've structured that. Now, I gotta circle back around. Uh, I'm sure it's been buzzing in people's heads. You mentioned you have this special process 
for taking buyers out and showing them homes. Give us a couple tidbits there. What are you doing that's unique or different from every other agent? It's um, unfortunately, it's kind of complicated. So it's very difficult for me to run through quickly. But I will tell you that the end result um, is, is that instead of doing a process of selection, I do a process of elimination. And I have my client, my showing agents, and I do the same when I'm showing, I have them do it at every single house. So they look at house number one, and they're going to review with the client what the pros and cons are for that house so that they learn more about the likes and dislikes, wants and needs of that particular client at each home. And then they move on to the next house and they compare and eliminate. It is a constant process of elimination. We don't allow, and I say the word allow because we actually phrase it that way, we do not allow a buyer to keep more than two properties at any given time. We don't let them hold on to the MLS listing sheets because then they start getting confused and going backwards and second guessing themselves. Their decisions are usually gut level decisions and those are the ones that are probably the most accurate. When they say that we ask them, if you had to buy one of these two homes today, which would it be and why? They make a decision, whichever one they didn't pick is eliminated and we move on. But the key factor that I use at the end, and I describe it to them this way, so great, we're able to get through a number of properties, but how do we know when we've found the right property? My rule of thumb is that the property needs to be 85% of the most important things to those buyers at a gut level. And if I ask them the question and say, is this an 85% house? And they don't know the answer, it isn't. Absolutely isn't. If, they, if it is a house that they should consider writing an offer on, they will generally tell me at a gut level that it's 90 to 95%. And what will usually happen is because they've been told that that is the criteria, when they hit that gut level of 90, 90 to 95%, they'll say to me, okay, let's go write an offer. <laughs> There's, I, there is no closing that is necessary. They know that that is the criteria for considering, seriously considering writing an offer on a home. You've also given them permission to go with their gut and not overthink it. Exactly. And the interesting part of this is that you would think that that would be a difficult task for a, um, an engineer, someone who is, you know, or a high C who is very analytical and wants to sit do, down and do the Ben Franklin pros and cons list. And that doesn't happen. Wow. And uh, it just doesn't. Um, historically, I have not had that occur. If I were going to summarize what I heard you say, you tell me if I'm right, you train them before you go out. And the whole Absolutely. concept is that they're going to look at one property and then compare it to the, to the very next property. And they're going to pick their favorite of the two. Whatever they don't pick, it's eliminated. Now, when you go to the next property, 
Is it your favorite you said before or this one? It's just an elimination process, as you said, one, two, either yes or no on the two properties. You focus them on the two rather than on the 10 that you're showing that day. Absolutely. And one thing we do say to them, and you're right, we do train them. We tell them before they start going out to look at homes exactly how this is going to work. And it will work the same way, whether they're working with Joe or Jill or Barbara or anyone that is showing up as a showing agent, the same system will happen or myself. Um, but we do tell them that sometimes there are two properties that they cannot pick between. And usually it's because they're either too similar or too different. And so we do let them hold on to two properties, but when they hit the next property, one of them's gotta go. They can only keep two. And no one fights this system. And every single person, especially if you, you know, if you think about it, the people that have bought four or five homes in their lifetime, this is not the process they have used. And uh, so we like to ask them, so, you know, how did you feel about this process? Inevitably, they love it. They said, this is the most efficient process we've ever used to buy a home. And we felt totally comfortable in our decisions. That is fantastic. Do you use, uh, do you use props? In other words, is it you have one sheet of paper for each property, so they're physically holding and deciding between the properties? No, I, actually, I don't let them have a copy of the MLS, except um, they will have one while they're driving to the next property beforehand or when they get to it to review the data about the property. But years ago, that was a that's kind of a funny question. Years ago, when I was showing property and I used to drive with my clients in the car, I made it a very physical issue. So I would literally take the MLS printed sheet for the property they had eliminated. I would crunch it up into a ball <laughs> and I would literally throw it to the back of the car so nobody could touch it again. <laughs> it's done. But I made it a very visual um, type of thing. And if there was a kid in the car, I said, if their kids were with us, that was their job is to dispose of it. All right. There you go. <laughs> Turn it into an airplane or something. Right. Right. That so yes, correct. So you don't do it that way anymore. Do you do it? How do you refer to the properties then? The blue property, the yellow property, the green property? It was the next, it was just the last best property. Okay. It was the last best property and they know what it is because we're not talking about the others anymore. Right. And they've There's already got that emotional one. attachment to it. So it's easy for them to remember. Right. Do you have a limit for how many homes you'll show in a session? Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Um, it kind of depends on the situation. If somebody's in for a, um, a quick buying trip, we've got to cram them in. But generally, with the market the way it is now, we rarely show more than three houses at a time and usually only one here and one there as they pop up because there's such lo low inventory. Um, but uh, 
Did you use this technique in a high inventory market too? Absolutely. It was actually much more useful in a high inventory market because if you had 10 to 12 houses in a day that you were going to be showing to allow the buyer to take notes, we don't even let them take notes. There's no reason to. Absolutely no reason. Just and, yes or no. Well, and we in or out. We also explain to them that with this system, they are not as stressed. They can just relax and enjoy the showing process and not be stressed about trying to remember X amount of homes in a given day, which is virtually impossible, even for a professional. We'll <laughs> yeah, start mixing them up after house number three. You know, was there a fireplace in that last house? Um, so does it, it matter if you can't remember it was either you got attached to it or not? And we also let them know that if they need to, we can always go back to that house again for another look. So they don't need to be taking notes. They don't need to be taking pictures of a house they're not going to buy. Another really important factor that I use is that we give them permission to walk away from a house immediately. Uh, when, when we used to have a lot of inventory, we would ask the buyer, and timeline wasn't an issue, which is not the way it is now. We would ask our in-town buyers to drive by the homes before we scheduled showings because 50% of the time, there would be something about the outside, the location, that would cause them to eliminate that from their list. And there was no reason for us to schedule a showing for that home. Now we don't have that luxury because time is of the essence. So we let them know that if we drive, if they drive up to the home with the agent and they're in front of the house and it's a no-go for whatever reason, all they have to do is tell the agent, I don't need to see this house and we will cancel it and move on. We're trying to make the experience as efficient as we possibly can. Their time is very valuable. Our time is valuable. We don't want to waste anyone's time looking at a house that they would never buy. And so the same thing applies. We let them know if you walk into a house and there's something about what you see initially that would cause, see, smell, <laughs> whatever it may be. Uh, there's some smells that would be an immediate no-go. Had that happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if that happens, then they are just to say to us, we're out of here. I don't need to see the rest of the house. And we let them know that unlike HGTV, we're not going to force them to walk through the entire home. You've given we them permission leave. to cut it short. Cut it short, and when you find a home that interests you, spend as much time as you need in that home. That is great. What a great piece of advice. Uh, another idea here real quickly, and that is the handoff. So you're meeting the buyer, you're interviewing the buyer, you're creating that relationship or already have a relationship. How do you hand it off to the showing agent with the, all the expectations there that it's just to see the property and then they're going to come back to you. How do you make the, the buyer feel comfortable about this? What's the script? Actually, what I do is when I explain to my buyer clients about my business model, which I do explain um, so that they know who the 
you know, characters and the actors are in the whole process. Who are they going to be interacting with and why at various points in the transaction? Um, I talked to them about the showing agent right at that point, but I explained that every single person on my team, every person they interact with is doing a job that they are uniquely skilled for. They have been selected for that particular piece of the puzzle because that's what they do really well. I also let them know that after 22 years, I'm really not the best person to be showing them property. It's not that exciting to me anymore. And they should have fun looking at homes. So it's better that they're with someone that's still got excitement about showing homes. I also let them know that that is not one of the highest um, skill sets for something that I would need to do, that I reserve my time with them for the things that I do best, negotiating, getting them through the transaction smoothly, handling issues, problem solving, and making sure that they get to the closing on time and communicating with them clearly throughout the transaction. I also let them know that, you know, the showing process, um, you know, does not require a high level skill set. that these people have been trained to do it a very specific way. And once they've gone out with them, you know, they, they love it. They just love the fact that they've got these enthusiastic young agents that are excited to show the house. And that as soon as they're done, that agent's going to call me, give me the information I need to know. And I'm going to be back on the phone immediately with those buyers having a conversation about what they just saw, what they liked, or what we need to change in their criteria. So there is no, there has never been a negative from a buyer about having this happen because I explain it in a way that makes sense to them. It's all in the expectations. You set it, it up is. from the beginning. Fantastic. Vicki, thank you so much for walking us through your uh, showing agent model. That has been wonderful. Uh, I'd like to switch gears here. We're uh, still in the middle of COVID. You know, it's 2000, uh, it's 2020 now. And, uh, and we're towards the end of the year. We're hoping for a vaccine. Hasn't happened. Don't know when you're going to be listening to, listening to this, but that's where we are right now. Um, but, so I'd like to talk to you, though, about something that you've been able to do. You were able to easily transition into this. You already had your, your staff virtual. My understanding is you also went into virtual presentations when this whole COVID thing came along. Uh, describe that to us. What did you do? What was the event that started that and how have you made that work? Well, first of all, let me just say that I have been doing virtual presentations with buyer clients forever. Um, a large portion of my business is incoming relocation from, uh, in fact, I am doing a Zoom buyer orientation in a couple of days with clients that are in Korea. They're U.S. military. They're coming back to the States in the springtime. I've done, I mean, all over the world. I've handled from Beijing, China to you name it. So I have done these types of Zoom um, meetings with clients for years and years. And of course, we used 
uh, different platforms at different times. For years, it was Skype. It just kind of depends. Um, I had a conversation with a listing agent in um, Zagreb, Croatia, once uh, hiring him for a listing referral. <laughs> and I interviewed him on Skype. It was an interesting conversation since my um, my Croatian was not good and his lim his English was limited, but it was it worked out well. So I was used to doing this type of thing, and as soon as we were put on a stay at home order that week, I had two listing appointments scheduled, and uh, I sat down and thought to myself, "Okay, what now?" And I said, "Well." Why not? Let's give it a try. This is going to be interesting. So I called both my clients and I said, uh, I'd like to try to do the listing appointment since you both need, still need to sell your homes. I'd like to try to do it on Zoom. One of them was familiar with Zoom, had used it before, and the other was an older couple that had not used it. So I sent the links out to both of them. They were both open to the possibility. I will say that the older couple, the um, husband said to me, well, I'm not sure about this. I really like to get eyeball to eyeball with someone. And I said, well, that's great. We can still do that. We're just not going to be in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> and so he agreed to try this out. I sent the links out and for the older couple, what I initially did is I said, I'm gonna call you first and I am going to uh, talk you through getting it set up until we can see each other. And that didn't, that wasn't really hard. I let them know that I needed them to be on a laptop that they could pick up when we were done with our meeting and walk me around the house so that I could see the entire home. And that's exactly how it went. We had a meeting. Uh, and then when we were done, I said, okay, are you ready to show me the home? And they walked me around the home and we discussed it. One of the awesome pieces of Zoom is that you can record the entire thing. And so I was able to record the entire meeting. And when it came time for me to have my stager, and by the way, I stage every home I list. So when my stager was ready to have her initial orientation with them, she had never done a Zoom meeting. So I did a three-way Zoom with me, her, and the client. And we recorded all of that. She made her suggestions. And then she got familiar with using it and started doing one-on-ones. So we were able to expand the use of Zoom as all the way into the staging aspect. I got great. both of the I got both of those listings and sold both of those listings. And um, yeah, it was a great experience. And I continued on doing that from that point forward. So you just uh, at the next step when if you would ask them if they're ready to hire you and you would send them a digital digitally signed document so you wouldn't have to be there. How about for keys? They would just mail the keys into you. I did go and pick them up. They had because I had to put the lockbox on the house. So I stopped at the house. They had the keys for me, and you know I was able to put the lockbox on. The sign went in the yard. The photos obviously had to be taken in the house. So right. that was allowed at that point. 
And uh, so we proceeded with that. If we hadn't been able to do interior photos, we would have found a solution. Uh, but at the moment, we've been able to get our photos both inside and outside. I will say that during that time, uh, because of how fantastic our economy, our real estate market has been here, um, I have put a few homes on the market with outside photos only and sold them. Sure. So, That's you know, it's just, it is a hot market. Of course, the buyers had the right to terminate the contract if when they got a chance to see the inside, it didn't suit During their the inspection. needs. inspection, yeah. Sure. Sure. But well, we've been able to come up with solutions to pretty much everything. And I will say that one good thing about COVID is that it has, it has stretched all of our creativity when it comes to our business practices. And many of them are going to become permanent fixtures for us because we've learned how to be a lot more efficient. Right. <laughs> and use more technology. We've really had to lean on the technology. Uh, for I asked you before we got together about this idea and if you had any uh, tips for people or any recommendations. And a, a real great one that you mentioned was uh, if you're having challenges with people getting on, say, the Zoom call, was to call them on the phone first and walk them through mm -hmm. it. Yes, and that has worked out fine. Although at this point, as far as we are into COVID with so many, I mean, even my 94-year-old mother now knows she she has never touched a piece of technology, but she can join a Zoom call. <laughs> so awesome. it's really no longer much of an issue. The world is now Zoom compliant. <laughs> right. They pretty much all know how to get onto a Zoom call. So it isn't too much of an issue anymore. Well, Vicki, I got to ask, are, are, you, are you at a desk? Are you standing or sitting? I'm standing. I've been standing this whole time. I never sit down when I'm at my desk. I have had a, a multi-level standing desk for over 10 years. Um, wow. and there's not even a chair here. <laughs> Do your legs ever get tired? Uh, not usually because I'm not here for hours and hours on end, but most importantly, because I'm standing, I'm flexible enough to be able to go back to my printer, to go into my file cabinet, to walk over to another part of the room. And so I move around quite a bit. So, and I use a very, very high level, um, mat to stand on. So that helps a lot as well. It absorbs the impact. That's great. And it keeps your energy up. So you're always feeling strong and, and productive. That is fantastic. Uh, I'd like to switch gears now and go into some of the marketing and lead generation that you're doing uh, and what you're doing right now in today's. I know you've talked about a little bit of the past, but what you're doing right now and when we talked, uh, we've sent information back and forth through email. My understanding is about 75% of your business is from repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence. So I'd like to dive into that. Uh, my first question for you is how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Well, um, I, I did a tally and it looks like there's about 600 to 700 past clients, sphere of influence, and, you know, things of that sort. So around 600 to 700. Mind you, my database itself is much, much bigger. But 
we do go in annually and clean things up. And because um, I use Top Producer, we are very big on removing people who um, maybe they sold their house with another agent, or maybe they have, if somebody moves away, that does not take them out of our past client database. Because we have lots of people that have moved away that have either come back or that have referred other business to us down the road. So we stay in contact with people long-term, including um, their kids. We send, even when they move away, we continue to send our special birthday cards to their kids until they reach about 17. That's a great idea and a great piece of advice. So it sounds to me like you have about six to 700 people in the database. This is a uh, last this year. Uh, it's accounting for about fifty some percent of your transaction. Uh, fifty, excuse me, about fifty transactions, fifty closings, seventy five percent, but about fifty some closings. And so you're about one in twelve. About one in twelve of the people in the database is resulting in a closed referral or a repeat. Sound about correct? That's about correct. Yeah, that's fantastic, and, and that's a good uh, ratio to be thinking about. So you're hitting the mark there. Um, you mentioned you're keeping that all on top producer and you cleaned it up. You gave us some reasons why. Thank you for doing that. Next question though is what are you doing to stay in touch with these people? Could you give us your annual marketing plan of what you're doing to stay in touch with these past clients, a sphere of influence. So they think of you when they're ready to, to move or they know somebody who needs to move. Well, um, one of the first things I would say and I've taught this to other agents before, is that we assume that our clients understand how we work as agents. And we assume that they know how to refer us. So the first comment I have to make is that they, they don't. <laughs> and if you want to maintain a really good referral business, you need to, number one, make that request of your clients, make it top of mind, not just once, but on a constant basis. But then in addition to that, you actually need to teach them how to refer you. The most common way that people refer someone is they give their friend your name and phone number or they give your friend a friend your business card. I'm actually reluctant to give people, in fact, I never do give people a stack of my business cards because that would be counterproductive. I don't want them to give away my business card. I teach them uh, when I explain that I would like referrals and I, I have a way of explaining that. I tell them that I would like them to connect me to anyone they know that might need my services, either, either buying or selling. And I explain that means please connect me via phone, text, or email. And of course, do that with the other person's permission. Because that way, I will have a better chance of being able to help them. And... Um, I have a phrase that is in the signature, a PS in my email signature. So every time they see something come across from me, there is a reminder 
that I can help, you know, their friends, family, co-workers, whoever it may be, anywhere in the country and anywhere in the world, most likely because of my affiliation with my brokerage. And that's paid off. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but you're getting referrals from other agents to you and you're referring agents out. And I, I try to remember the number, but I think you said maybe $85,000 in referral the fees has come over years. the last five years. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So, and you attribute a lot of that to that signature and the fact that you're educating people that you can refer to them to agents way beyond your own mark, market. Yes. Um, one of my favorite stories actually was an internet lead who never ended up buying with us because they never ended up moving to our area. And a few years later, because of the communication we'd gotten and the reinforcement about that process, uh, gave me a call and said, hey, my son is looking to buy a home in Arizona. So he this This client was not in Arizona. He was like Minnesota or somewhere. And he said, can you, I I think you can help my son in Arizona find a home. So I never actually worked with this gentleman, but I helped his son get a referral to another agent to help him buy a home. She closed the transaction and I got paid. That is great. You had built trust and you showed that you were a resource. Um, That is fantastic. I want to bring us back to that annual marketing plan. I'm sure people want to know, what are you doing? Are you taking any active measures to get out there in front of your people uh, to bring them these messages? And how? what's uh, the medium that you're doing it? Absolutely. So there's two groups of people, as far as I'm concerned. There are the people who are local, who I can actually get face-to-face with. This year, we have not been able to do that, of course. But so this year has been an anomaly, but um, every other year we have between two and three large events for our clients. The most common event is our Thanksgiving pie event, our pie party. And we would have had it this year, which last year it was a great event. It was in the evening. We rented out a venue. We had catered um heavy hors d'oeuvres, and they arrived. And instead of doing the full pies, we've gone to purchasing from one of our uh, vendors here, one of the restaurants, purchasing actual pie gift cards. And so we gave each person a a Thanksgiving card with a pie card in it that allowed them to use it anytime they want. They could use it for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, whenever. It's good for as long as they need it. And then they got to be part of the party. And we found that um, when our clients mingle with each other, some of them have actually become friends. So we, um, we do our annual pie party. This year, what we did instead was we mailed out 250 of these pie cards to people who are local who could take advantage of it and uh, we're not able to get face-to-face. We've done an ice cream social before, which was a big hit right before school starts. And we rented out an ice cream shop and everybody, as I came in, just got tickets. They just told us, do you want one scoop or two scoops for each person? And they either had a blue ticket or a red ticket and they turned their tickets in. And we had about 120 people in two hours. 
And one of my vendors uh, co-sponsored that. And it was an extremely inexpensive event, but it was fantastic. We, it gives me an opportunity on at each of those events. I talk to every single person there. And one of the tricks is to be able to identify them. We do have them wear name tags, but it's just their first name. And I, I really go back and I study the guest list before the party and just kind of remind myself of who they are, what I know about them, so that I can speak to them very personally when I see them. I have people that showed up at the last pie party that I sold a home to 16 years ago and I had not seen them since then. They had not shown up at any event. And they came specifically to let me know that they were gonna be moving back to Poland and they wanted me to sell their home later on that year, which we did. Um, and that happens a lot. People will come just to talk to me about their, they're not even really coming for the event. They just wanna get face-to-face -face with me to discuss a specific real estate need. So that's the events are probably our favorite thing. In addition to that, um, and, and, and by the way, that's the one time when my staff actually gets to meet the people <laughs> we've worked with because they don't see that. They never actually see them. And since my staff has been with me for so long, they now know these people the minute they walk in the door and they can you know, acknowledge them by name. So that's a lot of fun as well. That's but, awesome. I um, want to stop you one second, real quick question. Those pie certificates, when you buy them, do you, do you pay for them up front or only after they get redeemed? I do. There's, they, they, we haven't found a place that will let us do it the other way around. So they're paid up front and then they you, you give them out and they use them or they don't. Either way, it was a good investment for you. Exactly. Okay, great. And so you mentioned the invitation and the great advantage of the invitation is all of, uh, or excuse me, the events, the great advantage of the events is the invitation. The fact that you're inviting all these people, a lot more people than show up. And so you're touching a lot of people multiple times in that part. And so that's probably why you've continued to do events. Absolutely. I, I look at it this way. If you have been invited to something, you have in essence, received it. Um, whether you came to the event or not, it was given to you. You chose not to come or maybe you couldn't come, but the benefit has been offered to you and the goodwill that goes with that has been received. And so um, the people who don't come, I don't feel like it was a loss in any way, shape or form. And we get a huge turnout. So I, you know, it's still, and, and we oftentimes get some of the same people to every event, but then every event there's somebody new that has never come to anything before and suddenly they show up. And so it's just really, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really a great time. When we hit our 20th anniversary, we threw a huge party um, at a place called Whirly Ball. <laughs> Whirly Ball is a thing all by itself, but it included bowling, pizza, Whirly Ball, door prizes. We rented out the whole place. It was awesome. We had videographers. We had face painters for the kids, um, all kinds of things. And 
that event got so much goodwill from everybody that came. So those events, they're worth the investment in time and money. And we usually try to get some sponsors to cover some of the costs, but not always. Um, you know, it, it is the biggest uh, chunk of our client marketing that we do. But do we do, do things do, other than events? We do. We do monthly marketing. So there is a company that our, our brokerage hat works with that sends out monthly uh, postcards that have uh, buy one, get one offers for local restaurants. Sometimes it's ski tickets. Um, just a variety of different things. Oftentimes there are places that are new in town and it's an opportunity for someone to experience it. And it also helps the vendor or the restaurant to get some extra traffic. So that same list of local people that would be invited to my events, plus vendors that might refer business to me, plus people that are um, both buyer or seller prospects are all on that mailing list. So we currently mail to close to 300 people every single month. And again, we're back to the, they may not use that coupon. Now that coupon does not cost me a lot. It's about, I think it's running about $2 per coupon. My name is in front of them every single month, along with a very positive benefit. Oftentimes they hold, they, they usually have a shelf life of about two months. So they oftentimes hold on to them. I have people call me and say, hey, I went to such and such restaurant. It was great. Thank you so much. Um, but that's a really nice, easy, positive way to stay top of mind in a good way with all of those local people. And then for our larger database, people outside of our local area, people that are local, and all of the real estate agents outside of my local area that I market to, I do a monthly market update. And that is an email that goes out through BombBomb. Um, occasionally I will include a video in it, not all the time, but it's a multifaceted piece. It has local market statistics. It has my proof of success information. It has some calls to action and it includes usually a testimonial from a past client. And then when we aren't doing COVID, <laughs> it usually has six different events that are coming up locally that my clients might wanna know about and attend um, somewhere in the area. So we, you know, what's going on in Colorado Springs next month? And we usually go out about six weeks so that there's plenty of time. It might be um, an art, you know, a theater event. It might be something for kids. Depends on what's happening in town. So it's a multifaceted piece and we usually get a really good um, open rate on it and click rate and everything else. And again, it's back to top of mind. So they see my information every single month 
And the other thing that it does with the out-of-town agents is that it keeps me top of mind and as an area expert because I'm providing them with local area data. I know for me, I like to find out what's going on in a variety of different areas throughout the country. I want to keep my my fingers on the pulse of the different areas throughout the country that I may be talking to agents about or talking to buyers about. So if I'm getting information from say Atlanta, Georgia, and I get a phone call from someone there, I know what their market's like. And that's one of the things that I like about providing that information to other agents. I don't have to ask them for referrals. I'm going to be the person they think of and they're going to remember it's Colorado Springs. And if they don't, spring expert, if they don't remember, they're going to get that email next month. (laughs) (laughs) Remind them. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Anything else you're doing with your past clients and sphere of influence? I do. We maintain, um, we do a client profile on every single person. We have them answer a questionnaire that talks about their interests and all the birthdays and you know, we collect their personal in- information, which restaurants they like in case we want to send them a gift card for some reason for a referral or whatever. Um, so for the adults, uh, I do not go on to Facebook and say happy birthday. I actually get on email and I use BombBomb and every morning I pull up my list of birthdays for that day and I do a personal video to each person talking to them a little bit about, you know, something I know about them personally, wishing them a happy birthday. And I usually finish that video with a request for a referral, not direct, but if you know anyone at all that's going to be thinking about buying or selling in the next year, please do connect me directly to them. I'd love to help them. So that is what I do with the adults. And with the kids, we actually purchase um, Baskin Robin gift cards. And we send out birthday cards with those Baskin Robin gift cards to every single child under about 17, whether they live here or they live in another <laughs> state, as long as that state has Baskin Robins or that city has Baskin Robins. The ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it's connected to Dunkin' Donuts, so it'll work for either one. <laughs> so uh, we do that every, we actually set those up about six months in advance and they go out in the mail five days before their birthday. So there's another way people love the idea that you're remembering their kids. It's very important to them. That is fantastic. Uh, do you, do you make any phone calls directly out to your past clients in sphere of influence? If so, how often? And what are you saying? I have to admit that that part of my process needs some improvement. <laughs> but I do use Top Producer and I do set follow-up calls for every, every client after we close. So I try to follow through on those calls, um, various topics, and speak to them over the next uh, 18 months. Um, I'm not as 
consistent when we get past that period of time. And that is a commitment I'm making to myself going forward. In fact, I'm going to use both phone calls and a lot of video emails as well this coming year. That is great. That is great. Thank you for walking us through that. Now, you're getting a lot of referrals from your past clients in Sphere of Influence. We also mentioned, though, you're getting realtor referrals for people coming in or going out. We mentioned some of the stats there. And it's about 10% of the business or so. Is that right? I mean, it's a Correct. nice little revenue stream. Absolutely. It is. And, so it, and it is how are always you finding going. those agents to talk to and, you know, make connections and network with. Well, in terms of the uh, current database that I have for agents that I'm keeping in touch with, most of those are people that I've met at conventions um, or events. I've, you know, people that I've met through other agents, that type of thing. And I just consistently add them to my database. Um, last time we were at our uh, international brokerage convention. I was very diligent about speaking to people, making connections and adding them in. And so we have a very large database of people literally all over the world at this point. How many people far, do you think you have in there? Oh, mm, there might be 2,500. Wow. Okay. Agents. And how often are you staying in touch with them? Monthly with that monthly, monthly market. The monthly new, right. The monthly uh, market update. No cost involved. <laughs> Just sending it by email. Yeah. And that's resulting in these referrals coming in when they see, they bump into somebody moving to or out of Colorado Springs, they're contacting you. It, that, ha that does help. Absolutely. And what I have also found is that some of the brokers who have referred me agents that have referred me in the past, they may uh, receive a request from someone else in their office saying, hey, does anybody know a good agent in Colorado Springs? And I'll get a call from an agent that says, hey, uh, so-and-so in my office told me to call you. So <laughs> it's a referral of a referral. Yeah, that is <laughs> and strong. it works out really well. That's exactly what you want. Um, well, this has been fantastic. Vicki, uh, I really appreciate you walking us through all this. I'm sure people listening, they've got a, a question on their mind. So I want to get it out there. We've heard about the structure of your business and your, your staff and uh, the people that are, you've surrounded yourself with to help. And the question they have is, are you profitable? Oh, yes. <laughs> I am profitable. Um, I think, I, as I mentioned in the beginning, I ran another business for 21 years before I went into real estate. And so when I came to real estate, unlike a lot of people who come to real estate and think that they're uh, taking on another job, I came into real estate with the intent of building a business. And you don't build a business to be not to be profitable. And that was my entire goal from the beginning. And I have, I'm very careful about watching my numbers. I have a certain place that I like to keep my expense ratio. If it starts exceeding that in any given quarter, I am going to be looking at what needs to be cut or where we're not profitable. What are we doing that isn't generating the income it needs to generate to 
um, make sense as an expense. What is that expense ratio? Um, I am running less than 40% expense ratio. That is great. So and something less than 40% expense tells me you're over 60% in profit, net profit take home. Correct. And I, I, we talked before the call, so I got to uh, bring up that I think you said something about a salary on top of that that you're receiving. That's part of the expense, correct? No, that's actually outside. I'm keeping that outside of those numbers. Um, so my salary is not included in that. Okay, so, so your salary is part be... of the 60%. It's just that you're comping yourself through salary rather than a draw. I do both. Obviously, I'm going to be taking somewhat of a draw, but I pay myself a salary. I am a corporation and I pay myself a salary and that helps with um, all of the different social security aspects and um, all of the things that I need to be accounting for to make this a business enterprise. And it probably takes the pressure off over the years, knowing you're going to get X dollars every month. And so it allows you to then allow, uh, have the corporation as its own entity, creating its own savings and its own lifeblood. Yes. And I make sure that out of every single um, check that there is uh, taxes, take, that taxes are taken out and set aside. I have never had a year where I was worried about paying my tax bill uh, because that money was already sitting in a separate savings account. Um, there is money that goes out for donations and money that goes out for investments and it comes out immediately and instantly. So what's left in my business account is for running the business. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Vicki, what drives you? I love helping people. Um, I think, and not only love helping people, but I love helping the people that work with me. The fact that I have been able to provide my staff, three amazing ladies with an opportunity to make a good living, enjoy the work they do and raise their families is priceless. <laughs> and my big thrill when it comes to my clients is the idea that we are able to not just help them buy or sell a home, but we're gonna provide them with an experience second to none. They are gonna walk away, if they bought or sold eight homes, they're gonna walk away and say, this was by far the easiest and the best experience we've ever had. And that is our objective. And if, if that is what, I debrief all my clients at closing and if that's what I hear from them, my job has been done and I'm satisfied. Of course, there's the financial benefit. And that is one of the wonderful things about real estate as a career is that we do get paid well when we do our job. And uh, so that has allowed me to enjoy those 10 weeks of vacation and spend time with my family and develop a debt-free lifestyle. So those are the things that drive me. That is wonderful. Uh, why, why have you been so successful? Um, the first thing I would say is that my clients honestly know that I 
and working entirely in their best interest. And they will say that so much so that I have more than one client <laughs> that has nicked, nicknamed me the bulldog, <laughs> meaning they know I am going to go to bat for them no matter what. It doesn't mean I'm going to be mean or, you know, unusually aggressive, but they know that I am going to stick up for them no matter what happens. My staff knows that under every circumstance, whatever is in the client's best interest is what gets done. We figure out how to fix whatever it was afterwards, but it gets taken care of for their benefit no matter what. That's number one. And the, the second, and probably not even a, the slightest bit less important, is systems. Systems, systems, systems. I can't say it enough. <laughs> there is no way for me to provide a consistent level, high level of experience for my clients and for my staff where the stress is as low as we can get it in an industry where stress is kind of, you know, inherent um, without really, really good systems. And in fact, right now, as we approach the end of the year, each of my staff has been asked to go through every system they currently use and improve on it. They're going through it with a fine tooth comb and checking to see if anything is missing, if anything can be improved on all the way through the, the pieces of the puzzle. And we do that annually. And actually we do it throughout the year as things come up. If there's things that happen and we say, wait a minute, we really need to add this in. <laughs> and so that is a, that is a huge piece of it is systems. And the self-improvement aspect of constantly updating them and improving them like you do with your client list. Um, I forgot to ask you, and so I want to ask you now, Vicki, how many hours a week are you working? I know you're taking a lot of time off throughout the year, but in a, in a typical week, a typical day, how many hours are you working? Are you working all seven days a week? I try not to work on Sunday. If there's a contract that's being negotiated, I will, I will deal with it. Um, but I do have a note on every single piece of my communication that you've probably already noticed that says that if I receive communication from someone, any kind, <laughs> after 6.30 in the evening or on Sunday, that uh, communication will be responded to the next business day. At first, when I put that in place, I had a hard time complying with it. <laughs> and my staff, who, as, as I've told you, can see my texts, would call me out <laughs> if they caught me texting somebody back after hours. It's kind of amusing because I, I really don't pay a lot of attention to that, the fact that that reminder is everywhere. It's in every contract email. It's on my email signature. I have had clients call me after 6.30, like 6.45. And if I picked up the phone accidentally, they would say, 
what are you answering the phone for? It's after <laughs> 6 30. Oh, and they'll voicemail. call me out on it. So <laughs> I really try hard to abide by that rule. And that is very helpful. That doesn't mean that I'm not doing some paperwork in the evening because I do try to catch up on paperwork. If I've been out on appointments, I would tell you that I run at least a 10 hour day, probably six days a week. And then I take my 10 weeks vacation out of it. So I work very hard when I'm working. I work diligently. Um, I, I'm very particular about getting enough sleep because I think that that is really important to being able to function in this very hectic pace. And so I make a point of making sure I get enough sleep every night, but I do probably one run between a 10 and 12 hour day. Well, that's good. And, but it's paying off and you're balancing out with, as you said, those vacations, taking the Sunday off to recharge your engines. Uh, the idea of the bottom of the email, that little note and all the communication saying that I'm not going to talk to you after 6.30. I'm going to talk to you the next day. If it's Sunday, I'm going to talk to you on Monday. Uh, I used to do that as well in the old days with voicemails that would automatically come in and out to try to help me with that. You're putting it right into your communication in the text format. Uh, it's You really have to do that. I hope everybody listening uh, is hearing that, that you got to take the time for yourself. And this is a great way to kind of create a line in the sand for when that's going to be and let everybody know. Uh, great, great piece of advice there. Um, all right. Uh, I got to ask this. If you were going to advise a brand new agent who's just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Um, I did, when I first started in the business, I started in June and I had, I knew no one in town. I was, I'd been living in town for five years, but I had been isolated in my home working my, my prior remote business from home. So I had really no contacts. And so my way of uh, getting out and meeting people was our company had a kiosk in the mall. So instead of floor time, I was doing mall time. Same thing, um, except that I was exposed probably to more people that way than if I'd been doing floor time. And uh, so that was the initial piece. But what I noticed immediately, which I think pretty much every agent notices, is that they get out of real estate school, they get their license, they go to their company, and they realize they don't know anything. They absolutely know nothing. <laughs> um, I made a point of going with, for my first two years, going with the company in town that at that time had the very best training program. And that was the most important thing, I think, that helped my career. Because I just... I, I don't think that you can get too much training. And that's one of the things, Mike, that you do here with your program is you're not only providing new agents with education, but I've been watching your series forever because there is always some wonderful new tidbit that I can learn from another experienced agent 
or something that opens my eyes up. And so in that light, I didn't have any real business during my first six months about what the heck am I going to do with myself? And I decided to get myself through the entire GRI course. And it actually was in about a four month period. I had no idea how valuable that was going to be. But I will tell anyone listening, the absolute benefit of the GRI course is that most of these classes are being taught by experienced agents, not somebody that's just a teacher, but somebody that's done it. And there were people in that class that had been in business for 10 years or more. And then there were all of us newbies as well. And what I took away from it was that I get, got so many wonderful, vicarious experiences by hearing the stories from both the instructor and the people in the classroom that when I finally went out and had to sit down with a buyer or a seller, I was able to use those stories as my background of experience. And it gave me a, a sense of confidence to that, that I wasn't somebody who didn't know anything. I knew things even though I'd not experienced them. <laughs> and I, I don't know how else to explain that, but it was um, the most useful thing I did in the beginning of my career. And I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of an education junkie. I will admit to that. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I am constantly taking classes. I have my CRS. That would be the next step for anybody once they reach a level of production where they can qualify. But um, these are programs that will help any new agent get set up for success. And I think the other thing that I would say is learn to run your business as a business, your real estate practice as a business and not a job. And one of my favorite, favorite books that I like to recommend to someone who doesn't understand what that means for their real estate business is to start with Michael Gerber's E-Myth. It will give you an idea of the difference between your business as a job and your business as a, an enterprise or a job, a, a business. And um, that's a good place to start to get an understanding of what you need to know. I agree. Great, great advice. Uh, I got my GRI right out of the gate too. So that was really good point. And, uh, and Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth, it's getting old now, but what a classic uh, about how to structure a business rather than a job. Uh, a really good advice there. Well, um, Vicki, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Just that I would say... Um, do not assume that the way that people in our industry have done things in the past is the way that you should do them. Figure out what works for you. Think about, take, take the information that you get and the advice that you get from other people and then figure out if you can put your own spin on it. The idea is to try to make those same concepts more efficient more effective 
and more personalized because we do not all need to do everything the exact same way. And quite honestly, a lot of the things that our industry has done, and I'll use the way we show property or the way we teach people to show property, um, is not necessarily the most effective or the best way to do it. And all of us has the, have the creativity to come up with things that will be an improvement on the traditional methods. So that would be my parting words for everyone. That's fantastic. Put your own spin on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Feel free to look at things differently. Some fresh eyes. Um, Vicki, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed this. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today. You are very welcome. It's been a joy. Uh, thank you, Vicki. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us on Success Calls. Keep moving forward. Bye. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.